Hello, and welcome to Imagine Me and Utena, a revolutionary girl Utena podcast. I'm Panda. I'm your host, and I'm here with my co-host, Alice. How you doing, Alice? Doing pretty good tonight. Tonight, we are here to talk to Erica Friedman, the founder of YuriCon, about her history with Revolutionary Girl Utsuna, and also probably some Yuri stuff in general. I don't know. We're pretty loosey-goosey around here. How are you doing tonight, Erica? I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me tonight. I'm so glad to be here. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, we had had you suggested as a guest uh, twice by previous guests of the show. Uh, a friend of mine, Abby. <laughs> Abby! At, yeah, at Abby Says Words, Abby Says Words yes, on Twitter, and uh, Jude McLaughlin. Oh, who, Jude, of course, two of my most favorite people in the whole world. Yeah, we, ha- we I adore them. talked about a fanfic that Jude wrote uh, back in the day, and then she ended up finding our episode, so I said why don't you come on the show? And she said, you have to talk to Erica. So I finally, (laughs) I finally messaged you on Twitter and now you're here. So why don't you give us a little background on your history with Revolutionary Girl Utena? Uh, So uh, 20 years ago, uh, Revolutionary Girl Utena pretty much was the series that launched my entire career. And wow. My career. I mean, nothing that makes money. I mean, the other career, the career I spend all my time and love and passion. So uh, real quick, in 1999, when it was out in Japan, I was watching it, of course, as many of us were on, on VHS and various uh, recorded versions of it. And um, I got in touch with the folks at On America. We started talking about it. And they did a uh, issue, in fact, with Utena on the cover, and I got to write a little bit about Utena. I got to write a little, got to write a little bit about villainy and some other things, and and so that was sort of like one of my first paid writing gigs. Wow! But more importantly, um, I was watching the movie, and I was watching it with a fifteen-year-old. We were we were watching a seventeen millionth generation VHS tape that we'd gotten at the local Japanese food market. By local, I mean about forty-five minutes away. <laughs> and we were sitting there watching it on my TV, you know, and she was, we got to the dueling scene, the dueling ground scene, and she's like, this is what anime is. I was like, yes, this is what anime is. So about that time, I uh, encountered the movie manga, which I got in Japanese. And at the very end, uh, she turns to Utena and says, let's go to the outside. And I realized in that moment that that was the same ending as a very important early 20th century proto-Yuri novel called Yano Erno Nishojo, where the one character turns to the other and says, let's go to the outside world. And I realized that this series, which is literally chock full of references to earlier anime, to earlier manga, to earlier literature, was referencing this incredibly important 1919-1920 novel. And at that moment, it was like the veil lifted. And I realized that there was a metric ton of references in not only this series, but in other series that American fans were not getting because we did not have access to them at that point. So I started writing obsessively. And I started my blog Okazu in 2002, uh, in part to document how incredibly difficult it is to run a convention because I was running YuriCon 2003, but also to talk about anime and manga, Yuri anime manga, and talk about all those references that everybody was missing. And in fact, in 2004, 5, when Strawberry Panic came out, we used to run on an old mailing list, which no longer exists. Thank you, Yahoo. Uh, <laughs> the We used to run a weekly meme report 
And we would say, hey, you know, did you know this here, this reference here? Like, nothing in Strawberry Panic was at all even remotely original. Everything was stolen. So we were literally running a, a, a meme report, and so this way we could see all those references that people did not know existed. We could surface them and explain them, and, and I could review them. And that is pretty much how I got started. That and is incredible. I It's really funny that you mention all of that, actually, because I was thinking literally earlier today that at some point I would really like to put together a series of episodes where we just go through works that Ikuhara keeps referencing because <laughs> like we in the main show right now we are uh we've just started watching Yuri Kuma which is mm-hmm. full of references to horror sure. movies which was not yeah. what I expected at all and it's just it's so fascinating to see all these little bits and I had no idea about that reference that you said about the movie manga and I love that scene from the movie manga mm-hmm. that, mm-hmm. that it is awesome a key moment I mean, there, there's moments through all the series, like the moment when Jury, we could talk about this, of course, but when the moment when Jury, uh, we see her the first time she takes off her helmet and that ridiculous pile of hair rolls out. And I thought, oh, it's Miyasama from Onisama. Eh. And the character reference is so visibly meant to be Miyasama that it's not a question, you know, that kind of thing. And years later, I actually got to interview him and I asked, you know, is this intentional? And he sort of looked at me like, duh. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it was a stupid question by a rookie interviewer, but but the bottom line was the visual references are as important as the, the thematic ones and the um, artistic ones and the musical ones. So he so he does a lot of what we might think of derivative work. It's not, of course, he's putting it together in really unique, original ways. But if you're a Japanese fan and you're looking at something like a character who looks just like Miyasama and kind of acts like Miyasama, you're going to recognize that the the reference and, and all of the things that that character brings to the table. One of my favorite yeah. things about anime is seeing something and I'll often get this feeling like there's a joke I'm missing out on. And so I like, <laughs> right. I'm obsessively like Googling and searching on Twitter and Tumblr to see other people talking about it and figure out who, who has the information that can fill in this gap that I have in my understanding. So I'm the person who actually goes and finds that book and reads <laughs> it and then goes and reviews it because that's what I do. I'm a, I'm a professional researcher in my day job and I can't stop myself. I love that. And and the further back I go, the happier I am. So my collection here has all sorts of references of things that other things reference later on. And I keep it because I'm fascinated that this was used as a reference later on. And again, to mention Strawberry Panic, because it's stolen from so many things. There's a, there's these midnight tea parties. And that was a reference that was stolen from Himitsu no Kaidan, which is a story by uh, a really obscure little two-part manga that I really love, but it's so unknown. Like, it's just not well-known. And the thing was, it was a zeitgeist moment at the time. Like, a few years ago, I was on Twitter, and I was watching all of the Yuri manga because I followed every single one of them. Uh, they were all playing what we now know as kindred spirits here in, in America. And all of them were playing this. I mean, like, they were obsessively playing this game, and I'm thinking, well, I don't really like the visual novels, but if it ever comes out in English, I'm going to have to play it. Wait, hold on. i got to see what, what is it is that they're referencing. What is this now? Kindred Spirits. The visual novel Kindred Spirits. Yeah. It's uh, out by it from um, Manga Gamers. Hmm. Okay. I'm not it's aware of that. It's really good. And I did review it. And I, it's a very long review because I 
I played that all the way through, and I really hate that visual novels and, and gaming mechanisms. So. <laughs> I wanted to get all my comments down in one big chunk. Who would you say is your favorite Revolutionary Girl using a character? <sighs> That's a very complicated question, Long isn't silence. it? Long silence. Well, my gut reaction is jury, and everyone's going to go, duh, Eric, of course, <laughs> because tormented lesbians are us. But it's really not even that. I mean, part of what I love about jury is the way I've rehabilitated her over the years in my head and my fanfic and my writing about her. Oh, that's extremely relatable. Yeah, absolutely. Right, right, absolutely. of course, you know, the headcanon. Um, but I like Wakaba, I like um, Suabuki. But honestly, Suabuki's I mean, an interesting choice. He's a great character. Um, uh, Nanami is a great character. And she's a particularly fascinating character because she's so complicated. She becomes a uncarved block. You can literally do anything with her. Uh, I adore Naname, as you could probably tell from my uh, Discord avatar. <laughs> yes. The, the thing about all the characters are, is they're filled in just enough to make them very interesting, but not enough to actually tell one story. So you have so much space, and that's why fan, that's why fanfic of Utano was like one of the main, main things that drew people into Yuri in the first place. And we were all obsessively talking about it, because there's so much room. Dude, there's so many holes. To fill in. And part of what you do when you write fanfic and you draw fan art is you want to fill in the gaps and kind of understand what they're meant to be doing there. Um, in some series, they're left there on purpose. In Utena, they're not. They're meant to be left there because Ikuhara is the guy who leaves gaps and doesn't want to fill them in. <laughs> so he wants, he just wants you to, you know, fill in those gaps. He's perfectly happy to have you do the hard work for him. Um, and, and sometimes, like, when you get something like uh, Simun, the gaps are left there on purpose. They're specifically left there. You will never know the answer to that question on purpose. With him, he's just like, eh, it looked cool. We'll go with that. <laughs> and and that's fine, you know? And and some things that seem really complicated are actually really simplistic. And some things that are really apparently simple are really complicated. So it's a very, very difficult question. I mean, in terms of complexity, I think Nanami is one of the more interesting ones because she's not fully formed and you can do so much with her. Uh, I like a lot of them, but honestly, when it comes right down to it at the very core, it's got to be Anshi. She's yeah. the most interesting character. She is literally the character around which the entire series revolves. Everything about her is fascinating. Yeah, it, I am of the opinion that she is maybe one of the most complicated and nuanced characters in any series that I've seen, anime or otherwise. Yeah. Agreed. No question. She's absolutely fascinating. What is it that draws you to her? Well, partly because she is the engine that runs Otori. So without her, nothing can happen. Absolutely none of it. She's the magic that runs everything. And that's the whole, that's the actual tragedy of the, of the TV series, right? That she, here's, here's, here's the headcanon in my, in my head. She, she's the witch, right? We've all seen the movie. She's the mm -hmm. witch, right? And she's got the magic and her brother uses that magic, but he forgot about her. And he is so enamored of the game that he created to try to get his own magic back that he just lets her run everything. He lets the magic run on automatic and pays no attention to her at all. And we see that a lot. I think the movie really makes that very, very plain that she's literally a tool for him. 
which is why, and I remember this vividly, the first time we saw the very last episode, and, and Anshi comes in and walks out of Otori standing up and on her own with nobody at her side. My wife and I literally launched ourselves off of the sofa and clapped in a standing ovation because she took a step to regain her own agency, which had been completely stripped from her. So I think that that's initially, that's got to be one thing. Also, everything. How old is she? How many people has she seen die? How many people have tried to fight for her hand? How many people have never cared at all about hers, except as a symbol? And I could talk about her for the entire hour, so let's stop me. <laughs> because I'm a comparative literature major, and if you get me started on symbolism, I will never end. Um, the bottom line is that I think there's that she is literally everything to the story. If you pull her out, you can't write the story. Oh, absolutely. Like So that's why she's the most interesting. She is the the apex on which everything spins. Yeah, I mean she is absolutely she is literally the engine that drives the entire story. So you're a uh you're a veritable Yuri expert, uh <laughs> one might say. <laughs> one might. I I often wonder, you see, like, these top 10 Yuri anime that you need to watch right now lists float around on social media sometimes. And, like the ones I write, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Revolutionary Girl Utsuna is on them. Do yes. the, not, not, the question I'm asking is not whether or not you think that Revolutionary Girl Utsuna is a Yuri, but rather, do you think maybe that grouping Utsuna among Yuri as just a general genre might give people unrealistic expectations for what to expect. Or, or not unrealistic, maybe. That's not the right word. Might Overblown, give yeah, I understand. Certain expectations for the series that they're about to attempt to get into. So here's the problem with those sorts of things, right? So Yuri is a really really new genre as a genre right it's really only existed as a genre since 2010 and people don't really think about it because i've been talking about it for 20 years but and other people have too but really the very first official anything that said yuri as a genre was j manga in 2010 and i know because i was working with them at the time and, and, and as a result they were they actually created a yuri category and it's only been since 2012 that you've seen yuri sections in Japanese bookstores and Japanese manga stores and American manga stores. So we're talking about a genre that is in a, its official genre of form less than a decade old. So when you, when you say that, I think I know the answer here, but uh, just to clarify, when you say it's only been a genre for that long, are you, are you speaking specifically in terms of like how it is marketed and talked about outside of like an official like copy print kind of way or correct okay. Alice correct okay. that is exactly what I mean yeah because I was about to ask you like what do we do with you know the success not class S but the successors to it and all that kind of stuff but well the thing is there weren't any there weren't any predecessors see that's the thing Cla there was class S and then there was just shoujo see this is the thing about Yuri and, and anybody who's listened to my um my podcast over the past year is probably sick to death of this but the the reality is that. Every other genre in Japan, there are four genres. They're demographic. It's for men, for women, for boys, for girls, right? Those are the categories of, around which all marketing and targeting is done. And I am somebody who actually believes that you need to understand that because if you're reading something like, I don't know, pick something, Toriko, 
something from Shonen Jump and you go, wow, this is a great thing. I wish there was more girls in her. I wish the girls weren't just, you know, one character with one, you know, hardly named. Oh, what's another good one? Dr. Stone. Dr. Stone has all these great male characters, these fantastic female characters who are nothing but insulted and demeaned and dismissed. Why? Well, because it's for 12-year-old boys. And it's for, more importantly, adult men who think like 12-year-old boys. They think they think like 12-year-old boys. So it's for the infantile male mentality. And if you want to look at something like Dr. Stone and say, wow, all the characters awesome. Why is someone everybody so mean to her? It's because it's a bunch of fucking kids. They're teasing and mean because that's the way they think 12-year-old boys treat women. They're not wrong, but they're also teaching women boys to treat women that way. You need to understand what the genre in Japan is to understand why tropey stuff is tropey. Okay. So, yes, Alice, you're 100% right. When we say, when I say it's an official genre, I mean you walk into a bookstore and there's a section that says Yuri. Yeah, okay, so you're talking And about I mean that in Japan and in America. Okay, I, I wondered if you were talking in the, the way that, because that, that is a point I try to make with people, that like... The way that in, in a Anglosphere sense that we're using genre does not a hundred percent line up with the way that it is used. Not even a little bit. It no. only it's only sort of vague overlap. It, it, right. does, it lines up kind of accidentally sometimes, but like right. exactly. only kind of by accident because you know, like we don't necessarily like we do sometimes uh, associate stuff with like you know, young adult fiction is a genre, and like there is definitely a young. If, adult fiction aimed at boys kind of thing and like, yeah and let's be real when people are talking about young adult fiction in like the english speaking world they're generally talking about stuff aimed at teenage girls yeah right and that is exactly correct because when you go into the ya section of a bookstore or a library what you see when you go to YA is a lot of stuff about relationships and, all, and mm-hmm. there's nothing wrong with that right no. and there's also there's stuff for kids and but we tend to go well. There's then there's action and magical stuff, and that that tends to go into separate sections, right? There's fantasy mm-hmm. and science fiction. If I go into my local library, I will go to YA for stuff about growing up, and uh, I just found a really fun little queer story there, um, which was awesome because it was a. I walked into my my county library and went over to the YA section, and there, with the face out, was a story with two girls on the cover looking romantically intimate, not like touching, not not really sexually intimate, but romantically so. And it said the the hate to love queer romance you need, and it was out facing out, and I'm like, wow, <laughs> like holy shit, that is like out sticking out. Anybody could walk up and see that, and I thought, what a world, how fantastic, you know. Um, but yeah, so just to get back to the point, the, the answer is yes. I mean, you walk into a bookstore, walk into a library, walk into some kind of something that categorizes things by topic, and you have a Yuri section. So when I go to the local Kino Kuniya, there is, it's only like a shelf big in the English language manga section, but it is labeled Yuri. And then there's one below it that's like two or three shelves big that's labeled Yuri. I'm never going to get over the fact that Wandering Sun and Blam or All You Need Is Kill are in the same section. Right. <laughs> I'm never going to understand right. that. Well, and that's an interesting point because we don't have those same kind of identity, you know, sort of identification things. Like, we have action and romance, but when you go to particularly, like, a bookstore, <laughs> when there were bookstores in America, <laughs> you had alpha manga was by alphabetical by author, so you had no idea what you were looking Although I have to say that Borders used to put all the BL stuff down at the bottom. 
over <laughs> on this, you know, that was all together. But everything else is all mush, and you're like, Shonen Jump, Shonen Ace, Nakayoshi. It's like it's all squished together. Margaret, whatever. It's all it's all together. It's like if I'm if I'm trying to find something, how the do I find anything? It's a little uh, reminiscent of the like early anime watching experience where if you were into <laughs> anime, you just sort of like grabbed at whatever you could get your hands on. Right. And and if you're a video store, and we were you know, particularly lucky, my wife and I had two stores in town competing to have better selections. Wow. Um, so we had amazing stuff. And a lot of it was still porn, but even the porn was pretty good. Like, you know, we got like, like La, La Blue Girl really early on. Um, so it wasn't like, I mean, you know, Demon City Shinjuku, which we did eventually <laughs> watch, but um, it wasn't like one of our first ones, which might have put me off of anime forever. So <laughs> realistically, what I see when I say officially, what I'm saying is that it's recognized by the industry as a genre. So real quick, we have the four demographics. They've been around uh, since post-war, post-World War II. And then you have BL, Boys Love, which pretty much got its start in the late 70s and, and really sort of peaked in the 90s. Um, and, and so it's always its own section, but it, it started like the other genres. It started as a demographic subgenre. BL specifically was by women for women. And, and the subtext there, of course, is by straight cishet women for cishet women. And there's a lot of changes. And I'm going to say, yay, there's a lot of changes. But back in the day, you would see it. It was all one thing. You know, it had the same set of tropes and everything. Um, and you would not find Yuri and Yuri was everywhere. Now I walk into uh, Gamers has a Yuri Boo, uh, which is a Yuri club. Uh, Animate has a Yuri Boo. Um, Comic Zin has a Yuri Boo. Hang on, which is the other one? There's one more. Uh, Toronana does not, but it has a great Yuri section, which was huge. And I took a video of it because it was so massive. And um, Shosen Book Tower has an, an amazing Yuri Boo. So those those companies all got together and sort of at the same time, a couple of years ago, launched this concept where they created these Yuri Boos, these sections where you have online and, and in the stores recommendations, new releases, and you could go to this section and find what the people at that store think is relevant to that audience. So it's still not necessarily the large, um, big umbrella Yuri that I want, because sometimes you get a bunch of, you know, it's the male manager and his male employees, they're going to put a certain kind of Yuri, and then if you have a bunch of women running it, then you're going to have a different kind of Yuri, but if you have something like Shosan, which I think does an amazing job, you go in, they have a really big-ass section of the, I think it's the ninth floor, eighth floor, where it says Yuri Boo right across the top, and it's just nothing but all of the Yuri, it's all of it, it's all the manga, it's all the novels, it's all the art books, it's amazing. It's like, it's breathtaking. That sounds incredible. <laughs> it is actually incredible. Um, and I'm also the, I highly, highly recommend, if any of your listeners ever go to Akihabara, go to Tornaana, the Yuri Boo. It's on like the fifth floor. It's on the right. It looks like you're going into the closet. It's on the, <laughs> I'm sorry, on the left. It looks like you're going into sort of the closet where they keep the brooms, but it's right there. It's the whole wall on the backside and it's really cool. Uh, when I was in Tokyo, Akihabara was like the one place we didn't get to go to because we were only oh. there for like four days to see the Utena musical and then go sure. back. So the Akihabara, so there's, there's sort of a general understanding that, that Ikebukuro is four girls and Akihabara is four boys. Mm -hmm. But Yuri 
is so fungible because depending on the audience, you're going to have different stories and stuff. We go to all of them. We go to all the stores and the anime in Nikipakura, which is technically the headquarters. Oh, yeah, we went there. Yeah, has a Yoribu, and we stay, we stay in Ikebukuro because we like it a lot. And then we go to Akihabara, and the anime there has all se- different section of Yoribu stuff. And it's, sometimes it's completely different selections, because depending on the audience and the, what's come out and whatever, you can get completely different stuff. Yeah. So, so the, the, to back to the point that this is so new, what do people expect? People who are into it from right now, they don't they don't know what to expect. They think everything is all romance all the time. They're not really used to this concept that we used to have to find Yuri as like a feature or sometimes a fetish in other stories. So they have, don't necessarily know. And, and yes, I think that if somebody's coming into it now and we say Utana is a great Yuri story, I think you're right. It would it would lend expectations because they're used to something like God help us, citrus or something. Um, oh. And they won't really. I was understand. wondering how long we were going to go before citrus came up. I just <laughs> sorry. It was a thing. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll just okay, we'll set aside. So, um, or let's, let's do something better. So we can just cut that part out. So, um, <laughs> something like uh, the Casasan series, which is a lovely series that I highly recommend, and is is sort of a really excellent example of of romance Yuri and buildings roman romance Yuri. So you know, youth to um, getting into more adult life. And I really, really enjoy it very much. But you get something like that. And if somebody comes into, I mean, when you were back in the day, we, we came into um, Yuri from Sailor Moon, Utena, the Maria Samagamitinu. If you have expectations from those things, you're going to have a wider expectation because we had to work harder at it. Now, if you come in from, Kasasan and Yamada, where they're college-age students and they're together, and you go, wow, this is great. You know, yes, I can understand where you would be totally confused. But on the other hand, I'm still going to make you fucking watch it, because it's real good. Yes, everyone should, should watch Utsuna, no matter what their expectations for it are. In fact, you're so much better with anime. Overall, across the board, just shelve your expectations, leave them at the door, go in and watch something for itself, even if you know nothing about it, don't learn anything about it. Just watch it and see if it tells you something that you can resonate with. And then if you really like it, figure it out. I definitely recommend never having expectations when you go into uh, anime. It just hurts most of the time. It's very accurate. I think the okay. first time I ever encountered Yuri manga that was that I, I read, I was like, this was, I could definitely say this was not written by a man, was probably Girlfriends. Oh, uh, that was more Naga Milk, yes. Yeah, yes like, she, she does write very cute, sweet the, like, stuff. It was like a ray of light. Like, finally. It's good. It doesn't make me feel ashamed when I find it. Right. If you like it, then I recommend the Kasa-san series by uh, Takashi Mihiromi. I think that it's it's just as good, if in you know, some some ways kind of better, but not really better in sort of a, sort of a global sense. It's sort of like, we've moved on and we don't need what Girlfriends does. Mm-hmm. Because Girlfriends is so close to being perfect, and then it isn't. Yeah. And there's, boy, I could do a whole nother hour about that. Same. Where you have these two opposite characters that's a very typical setup. And then at the end, when it would have been awesome for us to have a scene where we came out or did something, we don't. And all we get is Mari going, well, one day we're going to have to do that, but not right now, at the end. <laughs> it's like, really? Uh, but I also know that Moranagamilk doesn't do that. What her, her, area of special, her, her specialty area is that space before a relationship happens. Yeah. All of that tension, the first four volumes, is what she does really well. And when she does it well, she does it very, very well. So all that stuff afterwards is maybe not so good. I think Kasasan, 
uh, is better for not so much the coming out part, but just the growing up part and figuring out what you want out of life part. And I'm really hoping we get some uh, Takamiya Jin stuff, particularly Toshi Koishi, uh, which was a recent manga that just finished up, um, where she actually has a character come out to her friends. And that's really unique in Yuri manga. Yeah, I think I've actually heard of the Kasasan series. There was a, uh, I believe at Anime NYC a couple of years ago, there a year or two ago, there was a, a showing of a Kasasan. Yep, two years ago. Two years ago, yep. yeah. There was a showing of one of the movies, and that's the, the one year I got to go to Anime NYC, because I live it uh, was wonderful, across wasn't the country. It? I didn't get to go see it. Oh, that was wonderful. Was I didn't so get cool, to go yeah. see it. Uh, one of my friends did, and I've been meaning to, uh, I've been meaning to watch it since then, and I still have not done it, so. I really recommend it, and here's why I recommend it. It doesn't start at the beginning of the story. It starts after they're together. And, oh. um, that was one of the, one of the questions, one of the, there were so many good things about the Kasasan thing, including the questions that were asked and the answers that were given, that the next year, this past year, we had, instead of Kasasan, we had Frag Time, which was not a good Ane, and, and if you, anybody who's listening, if you want to hate on me, please feel, bring it on, because it's a suck-ass Ane, and also... The audience was a bunch of assholes, and also you were all stupid and asked dumb questions that were incoherent. So I just want to say that in case somebody wants to go, no, it was really good. No, it wasn't. You were an asshole. <laughs> uh, it's about it. It's it's, and they were selling it, which is sad. And Pony Canyon was kind of going, oh, it's a great you know successor. It really wasn't. It's terrible. Uh, but the Kasasan movie starts uh, halfway through the third manga. After okay. there are already a couple, and literally the entire backstory is in the first line. We've been dating for half a year, a year and a half, the end, and we move on. And then there's a story. Oh, that's lovely. And it's not a, you know, massive action-filled plot, complicated story. It's just a relationship with two young ladies who are finding their way, and it's really lovely. And it's about, it's about love, and it's about a relationship, and it's about learning how to communicate. And I definitely recommend it. And it's really cheap. I mean, Sentai has it for... I don't know what thirty bucks. It's an hour long, and you get uh, you get commentary and stuff. I think it's really worth it. I really do. I I, I was so pleased when I saw it the first time, and I've been pleased every time I've watched it since. Uh, why don't we? Uh, even though Utsuna is a, uh, a was it twenty two years old now series? <laughs> yeah, we have uh quite a bit of our listener base kind of skews younger and has more gotten into the series more recently. So why don't you tell them about YuriCon? <laughs> so YuriCon was an idea um, that started because, let me just, let me quick back up. There was a fanfic author um, named Dreiser who wrote a story called Scenes from an Elevator, which was based on Utena. <laughs> and in it, she had... Haruka from Sailor Moon and Jury from Utena run a con for animated lesbian characters called Ani the Lesbo Con. And so I started a group called Ani the Lesbo Con on Yahoo Japan, on Yahoo, excuse me. And I said, hey, here's a place for people to talk about this stuff instead of just like generic anime stuff. And then sometimes we're eking out themes. You know, we were all on like the alt fan Sailor Moon and we were you know, on Usenet and we were all like, oh, you know, we're talking about Haruka. Let's go over somewhere where we could do nothing but talk about Haruka Machiru and Jirajiru for like hours. <laughs> so I created this group on a lesbocon and then somebody on the group, uh, Cat Williams, said to me, hey, why don't we do this for real? And I said, well, sure, why the hell not? I'm not doing anything. So the next three years of my life was spent uh, building up a real life convention and the funniest part about it is I was calling it Analyze because I thought that was hilarious and Dreiser gave me um, uh, permission to do so. 
And all the straight folks would go, oh, well, you know that name? You know, are you sure you're okay with it? And I'd start laughing at their faces because I thought it was perfect. It got all the creepy, you know, tone shamers out of my face. (laughs) Oh, that name. I can't. That's right. Okay, bye. And so eventually I decided to, in 2001, I changed the name to Yurikon because I wanted to grasp onto the lesbian roots of the genre. And Yuri was from a mid-70s gay magazine called Barozoku, which is the Rose Tribe, and then it was the gay men, so they're all like pretty Nancy boys with you know roses around them, right? And the guy who was the editor, Ito Bunkaku-san, he said, well, if men are the if gay men are the Barozoku, then gay women are the Yuri Zoku, the Lily Tribe. So he had a, a magazine, a couple pages in the back of the magazine that were called the Yurizoku, Yurizoku no Heia, the uh, Lily Tribe Room, and they could have, like, you know, letters between women who want to meet up for sex or, or just to find somebody who is like them or whatever. And so the Yurizoku became, the the Lily Tribe became sort of synonymous with, with lesbians, and so immediately the Dojinshi guys got it, so all the characters became Yuri or Yuriko or Yurika, and it was all porn, of course. So, uh, but the thing was, because it initially started with with lesbian stuff, I wanted to reclaim that for our genre. At the same time in the late '90s, you had a group of American, what now we call BL fans, who were imposing Western Judeo-Christian standards of, of um, ratings on manga. So they wanted to separate what was cute, sweet innocent, romantic same-sex relationships and sexual relationships. So they coined the terms shonen eye and shoujo eye, which ultimately, which we all used for a while, and then ultimately we, I realized that, that those words are the words that it's sort of like shonen eye is like boy love, like nambla is boy love. So I decided to sort of move us off away from that. And that's okay. I'm not arguing that anybody's interested in that, but we but we now think of them as Shotokan and Yuri. So what happened was at the time they were like, well, shoujo eye is is romantic and sweet and cute and harmless and innocent. Which I just want to stop and say, if you think about it really carefully, that's also very creepy. Um, <laughs> but okay, that's okay. It's okay. We're all creepy. We can be creepy. Um, so shoujo eye, and then there was Yuri, and I was like the the skanky. Lesbo sex stuff, and I was like, "More lesbo sex stuff, please!" <laughs> so when I realized that the the word Yuri actually had gay connotations, it was it was rooted in lesbian culture. I wanted to reclaim it rather than deny it and just say, "Oh, it's porn." And I know that people still think it's porn for guys, but realistically, cishet guys think everything is for cishet guys. There's literally no straight man on the planet who doesn't assume everything in the world, gaming and tech and computers and TV and everything, every form of media, everything ever done, chocolate for fuck's sake. There's none of the things in the world that cishet men don't think is for them. It's true, and you should say it. (laughs) Thank you. And so I said, you know what? I'm going to do exactly what I feel like doing because fuck everybody else. That's who I am. And I went and said, we're going to call it Yurikon because this uh, grasped onto our gay roots. And so I ran a three-day event in Newark, New Jersey, uh, here in beautiful New Jersey, my home. And we had a great time. And then I ran another event in 2005 in Tokyo with the help of Rika Takashima, Yuri Mangaka. 
And then I also ran a one-day event in 2007. And then in 2007, I also ran a joint event, three-day event with Shoujo Khan, uh, which was called Ona. And we celebrated adult women rather than children. And we had a great time. And that was pretty much the last event I've run because I hate running events. Not true. I don't have fun running events. I don't hate doing it, but it's work. Running events is much more tiresome than people realize. Oh, God, it's horrible. And also, you can't have any fun, and people are endlessly needy. It's like having a thousand babies going, feed me, show me, do, play play peekaboo with me, because I'm an idiot and can't do it on my own, you know? <laughs> yeah, I, I, I used to do uh, security for a con that was about seven to 800 people in uh, Dallas. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like that. It'd be like that. You don't sleep for It'd be days. like that. Yeah, well, that's just it. And so we had a great time. I'm really glad I did them. I learned a lot about myself um, and about how much I don't like people. <laughs> so that's that was Yuri Khan. Yuri Khan stuck around for many years as a, as a mailing list. We still have a group on. We have a group on Facebook. You can uh, I talk a lot of, also on Twitter. We do have a Yuri Khan and ALC Publishing, which was my old publishing company. Uh, on Facebook, we have uh, our Discord, and um, we're also on MeWe now because, as we all know, Facebook is evil. So, but basically, any new technology that shows up, I open up a group so we can all just chat and I can post stuff and whatever. The uh, so. the girls from Empty Movement have been trying to prod me into getting on Pillow Fort, but I have not yet <laughs> tried that. I haven't out heard of that one. It's it's yeah. newer. I think it's like a paid social media, but in that way, uh, it uh, keeps out some of the riffraff. You know, I don't even care about the riffraff. The, the people who are difficult, I mean, this is a whole other podcast, but the people who are difficult are not the riffraff. They're people who have very specific needs that they don't find are fulfilled in any other way other than acting out negatively. And I feel bad for them in a lot. You have to understand, I came to all of this much older. Most people come into anime and manga in their teens. I was in my late 30s. I have never given a shit what people think about me. <laughs> so, I, you know, in fact, I remember one of the Japanese guests at Yurikan 2003, um, Tadano Eriko-sensei, she said, how do we guarantee our safety? I said, look, if somebody's a jerk, I'm going to toss them out. And she just looked at me and she's like, good enough. <laughs> because, I mean, we weren't that many people. It was a pretty small con. But aside from that, I'm like, and we did, we did actually make somebody leave. And it wasn't, it wasn't like they were being violent or anything, but they just didn't know how to behave in public. And so I said, you have to give me your badge, you have to leave. And I felt terrible because they were somebody else's friend, but they were making people uncomfortable. Sometimes you have to make so, difficult choices, especially when you're running an event. <laughs> Exactly. So, so that was Yurikon. Yurikon was our event, and it's still our um, our communities. And uh, basically, what it is is a place where people who are fans of what was not yet a genre could come and talk about their favorite series and learn things. Now, if you go to yurikon.com, that's still we still have a website. We do events. Um, usually, they're much smaller, and also I do events at other people's events. So like I have just been announced today that I am going to be a guest at Anime, a uh, featured panelist, excuse me, not a guest at Anime Boston. So I'll be doing five panels there. And oh, wow. Uh, four panels in a game and possibly another panel if they make me do it. And <laughs> I give away prizes for good questions and good participation. And so, so that's the kind of thing I do now rather than attempting to create my own event and spend all my time and money making other people happy. I do things for myself and say, come on, meet me if you want. 
Well, I think that's absolutely great. And uh, it's probably a, a much better use of your time in regards to like pleasure versus output. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I like getting to new audiences. I really do. I genuinely adore talking to new groups of people. And like you're saying, there are people who, who aren't familiar with things like that. It's cool. I mean, definitely hope to see you at, at Anime Boston. And if you come up and say you heard me on this podcast, I'll be that much happier to know that you joined because of that. I, I want to meet people. I just don't yes. want to be the one running it. Yes, I know that we have some listeners that are in the uh, the Northeast area, and I definitely encourage anyone to check out any of your events, because that sounds like it'd be really cool. We even have a game. It's You know, you know at Renaissance Fairs, they always have like, some really jokey like court where the you know, the king and the queen or the duke and the duchess or whatever mm-hmm. nonsense they have, like you know they have they have the actors and they go you know he made my pig turn into a frog and yeah. that kind of idiotic stuff. So we do something exactly like that, where it's you get two minutes to present why you think a series is either good urine or bad urine, and then we decide. Oh, that's absolutely delightful. Audience is, it's it's a hundred percent audience participation. It's hilarious. We've never laughed so hard in our lives, and otaku are perfect. Otaku are perfect for this because everyone wants to talk about what they like. And only giving them two minutes to do it. (laughs) (laughs) The time constraint is very important. It's important, right? So, so we have a great time and we give away a lot of prizes for that. We have candy and whatever junk I'm emptying my house out of because my house is full of junk. And, uh, we have a great time. And so if you come to my panels, you'll, you'll have fun. Basically, what you're hearing here is exactly what I'm like in person. I have no different personalities. Same same person online in real life. Uh, Something that I was really excited to see in some of your writing about Utena is that you do bring up the manga, which is uh, a little controversial among Utena fans. It's not as well-liked as the series in a lot of ways. Uh, how do you feel about the after the revolution chapters that have come out and oh, uh, specifically so specifically the <laughs> jury shiori chapter? Yeah, so so here's the thing about it, right? So we all know that Chiho Saito is the creator of the manga. She's I the adore Chiho Saito, and when people are mean about the manga, I get very upset. I totally understand that. I think she is. A magnificent artist. Her Tori Kayabaya was stellar. Um, and I think she's a re- she's really a good storyteller, but not for me. Like, she's mm-hmm. not telling a story for me. She, run- she writes for Flowers Magazine, which is a um, sort of a late shoujo. Um, so it's, it's older teen girls, and it's pretty straight. Um, but also, everybody in Bapapas brought their own stuff to the story. So... When you're looking at any piece of the story, whether it be the movie or the, the manga, the TV show, um, or the movie manga, you're looking at different interpretations. And, and a lot of things in anime are not the same thing as something else. So you get the movie interpretation isn't the same, or the manga interpretation is the same. And I think Westerners kind of don't really quite rock that they are different things. It's not always that the manga is going to be exactly the same as the anime, particularly if they they uh, either are done for different audiences or they were not created at the same time. So Papapas tends to create their stuff all at the same time, but they give leeway to each person who's in charge of that product. So when you see Yurikuma Arashi, you're seeing Morishima Akiko, her interpretation of 
these basic concepts. And my idea of the way Ikuhara works is that he sits down with his team and says, here's the keywords, go. Yeah, because... Kind of, that's how I feel he works. The manga for... So, like, no spoilers, because Panda knows nothing. But the manga right. for um, Yuri Kuma is mm-hmm. radically different. Even more so than the manga for Uthana, arguably. I would agree with that. Um, and that's because the... I, I, I do believe, and I have no particular insight on this other than my many, 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 many thousands of years of comparative literature... Um, the, my idea is that he, the, basically the team allows whoever is driving to pick the music. It's a good way of putting so, it. So, you know, so, so when you're looking at the anime, Kohara is doing the driving, doing the TV anime or the movie anime. But even those two things are kind of vastly different. If you, if you really think about it, I mean, like if you watch, if you watch the movie, and I know this for a fact, because when I saw the movie premiere in New York City with Ikuhara there at uh, the Japan Society, the audience was totally, completely confused. They had no idea what they were watching. And I had a kid behind me, or I almost brain, because they were going, Nani? Nani? And I'm like, shut ah. the hell up, kid. Like, you know, it's okay. Be confused. This is going to kill you. I mean, did nobody ever teach you how to deal with surreal stuff? I mean, <laughs> admittedly, the movie is a little way, way more like, look how surreal I am. The manga <laughs> is, is more focused on certain thematic elements. So... The coffins and death are so heavy-handed. Mm-hmm. So I really think the, the, the movie manga, actually, I, I love particularly. And the TV manga, they're really... And when I, I wrote a whole thing about this called Revolution Girl Utena 20th Anniversary Manga. Um, sorry, uh, a retrospective after of the revolution. And it was a whole thing on, on uh, Okazu. I wrote about how it's... Com- Four completely different stories, and then a fifth now with the After the Revolution. So you don't have the same timeline, and Ikuhara does this over and over and over. He did it in Yuri Komarashi, and he particularly did it in Mawaru Penguin Drum. In Mawaru Penguin Drum, all of the realities are happening at the same time in the TV anime. So all of the things you're seeing are happening simultaneously all at once, flattened into one thing, so we're only seeing pieces of different realities. That's my take on that. In something like Utena, you're seeing basically different realities. It's the same story, the same key concepts done differently. So the manga is for a much more childish audience. I mean, Utena is much more 13 mm-hmm. than she is in, even in the anime. Um, there's a very real sense at the beginning that she is a child. And and that's the thing that I think in the anime comes off as her being kind of a dumbass, but really she's just a child. <laughs> so you're, you're going, why are you not picking up on this lady? Come on. And you go, holy shit, she's 13 years old. How clueful would I have been at 13, right? So I think a lot of that, if you read the manga through the lens of this being for children and about a child, it makes a lot more sense. I think it's very beautiful. It's not very queer. And no. I think that's generally what the Western audience finds annoying about it. It's a much straighter one because yeah. of Toga and Utena. That's okay. I mean, I get it. It's That's not what well, she we had were a looking lot for. lot more oversight. Yeah. She went through, like, what, like four, five editors? Right. Well, I mean, you know, it's a magazine. So you have to... You have to be approved by the editors mm-hmm. and you have to sell the magazine's audience. Yeah. So, I mean, and... and the audience is 
primarily a straight girl audience and they want to see straight uh, romance. And I get it. I'm sure somebody out there, not in my circles, but I'm sure somebody out there actually likes Toga. I just have never met them. My circle thinks Toga's a joke. So, I mean, so there's that. And, and like, my circle looked at Akio and went, wow, manipulator? <laughs> I mean, I will say that the, he Toga, Toga's at least entertaining. And I don't think so. Like I find him boring. Really? So. You don't think the, like, okay, yeah. I also like Toga specifically because of the JoJo posing thing. Which yeah. he's constantly doing. I find him. I, just enjoy I find him every posturing. Yeah, I find him every posturing dickwad ever. You're not wrong. Uh, you know, I mean, I get it. I get it if if that's what you like. And if you like pretty boys, and clearly when I was, when it was popular the first time around, lots and lots of people love the the you know the the BL factor of, yeah. of partnering Toga around. Oh, with Sayanji and with Akio, I found them all to be incredibly... Actually, Sayanji is a fascinating character to me. And a lot of my fascinating... When I say fascinating, it's usually like stuff I've built in into stories after the fact. Um, and I th- my big thing is, can you make them into human beings? And I have, I have, in my fanfic, made them into human beings. That was part of what I was doing. How do you take... Them, how do you take them out of the brokenness that is Otori? Because Otori is the manifestation of all they're broken. Mm-hmm. And from my perspective, when I watched it or read it the first time, I saw that all these characters were kids I went to school with, but blown up to monstrous proportions. Mm-hmm. You know, I knew every one of them. I could have named you who this was, because they're all just characters of people that you grow up with just at ridiculously, you know, on steroids sort of levels. So that kind of posturing... You know, you know, ladies' man bullshit that that Toga did. You know, I didn't like when I was fourteen. Why would I like it now that I'm fifty four? <laughs> you know? And I remember that I remember sitting down. I remember sitting down with a bunch of girls uh, from school, and my sister, my now sister in law, was sitting with me. And somebody had a crush on one of the older boys, one of the senior boys, who I thought just looked like you know. A, guy it's not particularly exciting and um she said she put in a thing she's like write down what you like best about him and my now sister-in-law wrote his absence <laughs> and i thought yes yes <laughs> yes and that was that's pretty much it i mean this you know she was enamored she saw some she saw toga and it really made a difference for her she thought he was beautiful and i thought he looked like a pimply faced dude <laughs> at 14 I was unimpressed with that kind of guy why would I be imp- impressed now so Toga to me has low emotional impact Akio had high emotional impact but it was mostly rage oh, yeah god he's the worst <laughs> adults who manipulate children are the worst Yeah, in the real world and in the fiction bar none alright well we are getting close to the hour mark uh, are there any is there anything else that you would like to touch on regarding Utsuna or things that you would like to things of your writing that you would like to recommend our audience go check out I know that uh, I read your retrospective of Revolution uh, before we recorded and I sent it to Alice but I know that you've been writing for forever <laughs> I have a whole category of Utena, so if you like it, go to okazu.yurikan.com, and I have an entire category, but I definitely recommend you read The Retrospective of a Revolution, that's 20 years of Shoujo Kakami Utena, where I talk about the different series. I want to say this, um, I think Shiori is a very interesting character, but I don't 
feel like she and Jerry should have ended up together or will, in fact, end up together. And I feel like the only reason Shuri still has Jerry in the 20 years, uh, the retrospective or the, the post-series one, um, the, the 20th anniversary one, I think the only reason they're together is because Jerry is inherently has very little agency, which I think is what we saw in the TV show with the locket. She could have walked away from that whole relationship and been like, fuck them. But she didn't, right? And at, at 14, at 15, it makes sense. And I have a friend who's actually my sister, my other sister-in-law, um, who's a teacher. She was a teacher of high school. And she said, at 14 and 15 years old, you can see the ones that are going to make it, who are going to become actualized human beings. At 14, 15, you're going to see that person will be 14 for the rest of their life. I think jury's stuck at 14. And I think we saw that very clearly in the, the um, 20th anniversary manga. I don't think they should end up together. And um, I think Shuri's an interesting person, uh, but she doesn't. She and Jerry together are terrible. <laughs> it's a terrible choice. And I think it's super lazy writing. <laughs> Ultimately, yeah. if there's a single thing in the entire series that I feel like was just the laziest shit I've ever seen, it was that. Yeah. I, I like the angst, but like by the time it's, you know, years later, Jerry, come on, honey, you need to move on. <laughs> Right, exactly. And so, I, yeah, I'd written a series where she got somebody better, and that was that was my favorite, one of my favorite. But having her move on is like most of my jury fanfic is like her going, her having to like break down and realize that this was a terrible set of choices. I think the 20th century, uh, the 20th anniversary manga was a little disappointing because it focused on all the wrong things. Yeah. It basically said nothing has changed in 20 years these people have not moved on. No new information has happened. None of them have woken up and thought, holy shit, what did the ha- even happen those four years? What was I living through? Oh my god. And the fact that Utena and Ashi aren't actually part of it, except for as sort of Spectres. a deus ex machina. Yeah, um, I wasn't disappointed. I wouldn't want to touch those people either, but I felt like I felt like it was the wrong lesson. I would have wanted to see them having all left that behind and then brought back for one last, this is what it did to you and this is why we did this at the time and you have to walk away from it. But that, but I'm like that as a person. That's just who I am. It's my understanding about that. that the 20th anniversary manga is over, but it really feels like there should have been like one more chapter. Oh, hell yes. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. It absolutely needed one more chapter and it should have been the Ashiyutino chapter. Much as I loved seeing Kozue in a suit i don't think that that should have been the last chapter <laughs> no i agree i agree i really feel like the all i feel like the only characters who got any sort of um real in-depth work in that story were were Sionji and toga and i thought it was good i thought it was very good when they finally realized what they had got to everybody else they just kind of recycled the same bits and that was disappointing to me and oh mickey okay what can I say? Mickey and Kozue, and there's just nothing right about that. Uh, no. and not, not even the incest. I just find incest very boring. I just feel like, how do you not notice your sister is like a psychopath? <laughs> just Do you not read? Do you not watch TV? Do you not worry about crime, unsolved crimes in the newspaper? I think, I wonder if my sister did that. Oh, yeah, I don't get it. I always got the feeling that uh, Saito had a soft spot for Toga, and oh, I feel like that clearly. definitely comes through in the 20th anniversary the 20th. manga. Agreed. 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 And sadly, not for Sionji. And I felt bad because he, he too, 
And to me, uh, the story, uh, my, my, my fanfics are no longer up on the web because website stuff, but I'll get them up one day again. Uh, they still exist. Um, uh, I did a story where basically it was just all about how they had moved on or not. And I gave, so I gave Sionji like a free and clear growing up and leaving and letting it all go. And I thought the best thing you could do for him is have him one day go, what the fuck was I even doing? Mm-hmm. You know, I, why was that important to me? Toka's an asshole. <laughs> I just walk away from it, like, done. I don't need these people in my life, you know? Mm. So, I, I don't know. I, I feel like we, I feel like it wasn't the 20th anniversary manga I would have done if they'd asked me, but I understand why it was the way it was. Yeah, I agree. All right, well, um, if that's it, then we can go ahead and wrap up. Super. Thank you for letting me rant for an hour. Oh, thank you so much for coming on. Oh, it's my pleasure. Uh, listeners, if you would like to follow us on Twitter, you can do that at Utenacast. And if you'd like to follow me on Twitter, you can do that at Mpandanata. Alice, where can people find you online? Um, they can find me at Lyrewolf, which is L-Y-R-E-W-U-L-F. And uh, Erica, <coughs> where can people find you on the internet? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Okazu Yuri. That's one word. Uh, you can find me on Facebook at Yurikan and ALC Publishing Group. I'm on MeWe as Yurikan. And we have a Discord you can hang out on. I talk about it occasionally on Twitter. Twitter is pretty much where you're going to find me the most because it's it's low involvement for me. I can just shoot out pearls of wisdom and, and people comment. <laughs> so, Toss your wisdom that's... before the crowd and let them fight themselves out. <laughs> Exactly. That's pretty much it. And it's easy to mute and that kind of thing. Um, but you know, you find me online and, and, uh, and podcasts near you. And, uh, and sometimes I do other lectures and things and I, I occasionally tell people where I'm going to be. And, um, I've got a lecture coming up in Hunter College. It's, I don't think it's open to the public though, but I, I usually let people know if you come, you go to Yurikon or you go to Okazu, um, in my blog, okazu.yurikon.com, you'll find everything that I'm doing and everywhere I'm going to be and everywhere I've been. And everything I'm talking about. Well, that is awesome. So, um, thank you so much for joining us. This has been incredible and quite possibly one of my favorite conversations that we've ever had on this podcast. So, I it has been such a delight to have you. Thank you. It was really a pleasure. I, I really, really, I was so excited when you asked me to come and, and talk about Utena because I could just never get enough of it. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, uh, that does us for this week. Revolutionize the world, everybody. See you later.